0: They say that if you have PCOS or irregular cycles, our data may not be reliable for you. And I was like, well, that's great because we know that 87% of women don't have a 28-day cycle. So who are you trying to solve this problem for?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Miseducated with me, your host, Tash Doherty. And today, my guest is Dr. Amy Deverania, the founder and CEO of Uva, a personalized at-home test to help females understand their unique hormone profile. There's been a lot of talk of hormonal health in Femtech over the last couple of years, and Uva is leading the way in measuring LH, estrogen, and progesterone, three key hormones in the menstrual cycle. In 2023, Dr. Amy and her team raised a whopping $10.3 million Series A, which is big money in femtech. So we're super excited to dive into all things hormonal health. So Dr. Amy, welcome to Miseducated.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you
1: today. You got your PhD from the Icon School of Medicine in Mount Sinai in genetics and genomic sciences. So what inspired you to get your PhD and what did you discover in your thesis and your research?
0: Before I did my PhD, I was actually working in industry as a data scientist, and I've been really fortunate in my career to be surrounded by folks that are smarter than me, amazing mentors. Like I've never really disliked a boss. They've always pushed me to be better and move forward. My director actually took me out to lunch one day and was like, Amy, he was so mad. right? It's really weird to see your manager mad and it's not directed towards you. But he's like, I want to give you a promotion, but I can't because you either need a PhD or 10 years of experience. And at that point, I only had five years. So he was like, leave here, go get your PhD. And then wherever you go, I'm coming. And I was like, all right, fine. Like, I'll invest in myself. Like, don't invest the time here. Invest it in you and go and get your PhD. So I did. And I was really particular about where I wanted to go, who I wanted to work with. I was kind of a groupie of my two PhD advisors, Eric Schott and Joel Dudley who are and were at the time also leaders in the genomic space, very visionary. And I was always that person in the audience listening to the same talk over and over again, just inspired beyond belief. And I wanted them to be my mentors. And they both accepted me. I got into the school. They agreed on my PhD dissertation topic. We kind of hit the ground running from there. And believe it or not, my director that had advised me to do this actually came in as an investor in the company too. So he did follow me, uh, which is really exciting. But my PhD work had nothing to do with what we're doing today. It was really looking at genetic networks and figuring out why women, or not women, why people were developing certain diseases in the inflammatory like realm. Like, why were you getting lupus over cardiovascular disease when they're so related? What's that trigger that says you're going to get this disease versus another? And we were able to actually model out various genetic networks by looking at different tissues and Health records to validate everything, which is really cool. I had beautiful pictures throughout my dissertation.
1: Wow. So, you plan to go back to your industry job then
0: when you finished your PhD? Well, yes and no. I wanted to go back to work. I wasn't really in this, like, I need to start my own company mentality at all. But I didn't really want to go back to big pharma because I felt like those companies were so big and you have all these great ideas. You often get lost and it takes so long for innovation to come to real life. At that point, it's not even innovative anymore. My plan was to either go into a biotech or startup. And my PhD advisors were really well-connected there. So they were like, what kind of company do you want to go into? And at that point, I was going through infertility myself. And I was experiencing the gaps in women's health and not understanding what my body was doing. And so what I unintentionally did was pitch UVA. I basically said, do you know any company that is monitoring hormones, helping women navigate various phases of life and doing it in like a non-blood form? And they both looked at me and were like, no, you need to build that. And I was like, okay, sure. They're like, I have an investor coming tomorrow, get a pitch deck together and I'll put you in front of them. I was like, all right, fine. I happily walked back to my desk, Google, like a good student, what is a pitch deck? And I put together... An 87 page deck to put in front of this investor.
1: 87 pages. That's quite
0: extensive. I mean, I had just written a dissertation that was hundreds of pages long. So 87 pages felt like (laughs) nothing. He was very kind and (laughs) tore that deck apart with so much grace and was like, You only need these seven slides, Amy. And I was like, Oh, okay. And that's really where it started.
1: Wow. Well, I love the idea of having so many mentors that you can learn from and who will just give you the honest truth. Like, nobody needs that many pages. (laughs) This seven, that'll do. This is Silicon Valley. Like people do not have time to sit through the hours and hours of research. So that's really amazing. And so when you talk about your own experience with infertility, you were trying to conceive like with your partner. And was it like a question of like, do you know anything about, you know, your unexplained infertility? Was it when you were cycling or did you have PCOS or some other kind of like other condition that was affecting whether or not you could conceive? Yeah.
0: So I've always had irregular cycles. Since my first period, it's always been irregular and I've kind of tried everything. Like I was misdiagnosed with PCOS for multiple years. I was put on metformin, birth control, all of that to find out finally with like a sane OB that okay, having an irregular period is just normal for you. So I kind of accepted that and I let it go. But when it was time to start trying to conceive, I was doing everything right. I was using my fertility tracking apps. I was peeing on sticks. I was tracking every symptom. Like I'm a data scientist by training, so like. Give me data and I will find that golden nugget. Yeah. But there was no pattern to be found in this data. All I was learning is I'm irregular. And it's so frustrating because my train ride into work every day was literally dissecting my all my data. That's what I would do. I'm like, no one can sit on the seat. I have my stuff spread out. Like this is my time to really dig in. And I couldn't find anything. And the most frustrating part was when you're looking at the fine print of all of these products, they say that if you have PCOS or irregular cycles, our data may not be reliable for you. And I was like, well, that's great because we know that 87% of women don't have a 28-day cycle. So who are you trying to solve this problem for? And that's really where the light bulb started coming up. Like, I don't know if I'm ovulating or not. I can't not be ovulating in the 18 months it took me to conceive. I have to be ovulating to much more frequently than I am. And I just didn't have those answers. The breaking point for me was more so sitting on my bathroom floor after getting another pregnancy test. It was four in the morning. I was bawling, crying. And I had my dad's magnifying glass in my hand trying to find a ghost sign on a pregnancy test and I couldn't find it. And I was like, my PhD work is so innovative and I'm doing such crazy things. Yet I'm sitting here with a 60-year-old magnifying glass trying to figure out if I'm pregnant or not. It it just didn't feel like real life. And there was such a broken piece of the puzzle that I wanted to fit.
1: These are the kinds of stories that I love to feature on this podcast because it's amazing how, now that we have so many women in STEM, so many women OBs, Mm -hmm. you know, women doing PhDs, it's like, there's the nice fancy things that we're all studying and research. And yet there's our lived experience of like going to the doctor and trying to understand our own bodies. And we're so behind still on that. So it's just, I always get really excited and inspired when I'm like, okay, here's a person who is like STEM- um literate, educated, and like enfranchised, basically. Like when you have a PhD or you're assigned, as like you can do all these things and study these things. So that's really great that, you know, unfortunately you have
0: to take one for the team and put put your own line for greater good. You you bring up a really good point. Like yes, there are a lot of women in STEM and like making moves here, but it wasn't until I started this company that I actually felt like the only woman in a room. And I don't know if I was just oblivious to it or I don't know what it was, but I don't feel like I was actually treated like a woman until I started this company in an environment, like in a group setting, I felt like I was always treated like a person. And now I'm feeling like, Oh my God, like I, everyone is looking at me. Like I am the only woman in a room because I am defending a woman's health issue for a women's health company being run by women.
1: Yep. It's crazy. I've had, um, Anna Lee as well from Lioness on the podcast and she talks about like pitching sex toys to all male investor panels in Silicon Valley. And I'm like, oh wow. Really respect for that girl. Yeah. To be a fly in the wall. Right. Wow. And so did you end up discovering, you know, through your data and all your research, like were you ovulating? It were also
0: it randomly like through your cycle? So no, I was ovulating every cycle. But the issue for me was that my luteinizing hormone surge was just on the lower end. So when you look at these over-the-counter tests that are available, they're all threshold-based. So my LH surge just wasn't reaching their threshold. So I was getting false negatives every month. So literally, I was missing my window because the test wasn't reading it. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. And I've also like Dr. Amy from Prove, which I would love to get into a little bit of Prove as well, because it's kind of a similar market for parts of Uber's applications. But yeah, she was just talking again about how, like, even with COVID vaccines, it's like they were only testing it on female bodies that were like not cycling, which is again, of course, you're gonna have side effects for people who are cycling, which is the vast majority of people. But it's just like a really, a really difficult thing where I think. Obviously, because so much of this uh, medical history is like very patriarchal and like driven by men, it's like the added level of cycles is just too complicated. All women were assumed to be like too unintelligent, or we didn't have enough education to be able to figure out our cycles on our own. So it's kind of just this, you know, clusterfuck yeah. <laughs> of medical issues. And I think that's why it's really starting to unravel now. And we have a chance of getting really great gains
0: in this generation of women and beyond, which is awesome. Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. There's definitely those two aspects that you highlighted that women just aren't accepted to be able to handle this data and understand what's going on. But then you go to the other end of the spectrum, right? When your cycle stops, In science, there's very few things that you can say affect 100% of a population. Menopause is one. If a woman is to live to a certain age, 100% of those women will go to menopause. Yet we know nothing about it. It is a mystery. I don't understand that. Like, why do we not understand this transition that is inevitable and are able to guide women through that? I understand everyone's different and everyone's going to have different symptoms, but the fact that no one has, there's no holy grail of what is this chain? Like, if I experience this, it could be X, Y, or Z. There's none of that. And after generations of women going through this, we still don't have any sort of answers there. I think it's completely at the service to women.
1: Yeah. Totally. I think perimenopause is a huge area that we need a lot more advancements in. And I think that's a great segue, actually, to the some of the product questions that I was going to ask you about. And maybe we could give an example of a perimenopause a user with Uber so far. So I think it's like digital urine test, if I'm right. It's like it you can the same test over and over again. So yeah, tell us a bit about the product and like how a woman who's experiencing perimenopause
0: might want to use it. Sure. So I'll explain the product a little bit so people understand what it looks like. I can show it to you, but um, I can describe it for your listeners. It's a urine-based test. So every kit comes with 30 strips. There's 15 strips that measure luteinizing hormone and progesterone, 15 that measure estrogen. Each one of our cartridges has a QR code on it. So we know exactly what tests are measuring. You don't need to worry about like, am I using LH or estrogen? Am I misrepresenting it? We work. We take care of all of it. But you basically provide a urine sample and then you scan it with your phone very similar to how you would do a mobile deposit, right? Um, You're not entering data in. We get the data directly from the test strip and then we interpret it all for you and let you know exactly what your hormone levels are every day that you use a test. Now for perimenopause, we expect you to use it for 15 consecutive days so we can really understand what your hormone profile looks like. Uva's forte is not on a single time point measurement. We really value looking at the trend of your hormone over time because we're not robots. We don't stay stagnant. We have fluctuation. And you need to understand what that fluctuation is for every woman to really guide her. So what we're looking for on the perimenopause side is one, how are the symptoms that you're experiencing relating to the hormone levels that you're having? Mm. Is there a hormonal imbalance there? Can we help navigate you, giving you lifestyle recommendations to alleviate those symptoms or not? And really, are you in perimenopause or not? We have so many women that are using our perimenopause kit right now thinking they are, but when you look at the data, they're still cycling. It's just irregular. And yeah, you could say that's a sign for perimenopause. But Does that mean I've been in perimenopause for 20 years? No, it's just my norm, right? So we're really trying to help navigate women through this transition because the biggest issue is that it's so unknown and we just don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. So they're basically maybe experiencing some symptoms, but then they're still cycling, but basically the, I don't know, the hormones are winding down or they're irregular. And so, yeah, that's just helping them to to measure that. And so is that also something that you really focus on is not having a threshold for these different hormones, just saying like, this is your level. Like, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're over and above or below or whatever, like this is personalized to you
0: as a kind of like a hormone package in a way. That's exactly it. So we don't have a threshold on our test at all. You're getting an actual level of all your hormones every day. We really focus on understanding every woman's unique hormone baseline. So I get this question all the time. I understand these are my levels, but what's normal? And my answer is always, well, whatever's normal for you. Like that 20 day cycle is not normal. We're not striving for that anymore. We're not 19, 18, 20, trying to get pregnant anymore. If that was great for the previous generation, for us, now we're in our late 20s, early 30s trying to get pregnant. And we're not following a twenty-eight day cycle, on the most part. So, how do we uh, like really embrace your uniqueness and understand what's happening in your body? So, our answer is always like, it may be normal for you. Let's look at your historical data, and then we help navigate, help women educate themselves on what their body is actually saying.
1: Yeah, and I think that's just so powerful, like because there's so much as, as you've talked about in your experience like even my experience getting birth control whatever and like having painful periods is there's, there's so much shame that is built into like what is the normal female body doing and I just love that you know with personalized products like yours you can just like understand and be kind of proud and be like yeah I'm a regular and like this is what happens to me and like this is how I deal with it or you know and then have more personalized you know recommendations around like health or nutrition or whatever it is because you guys have quite a like holistic look at the fertility windows and things there um yeah so that's that's pretty pretty crazy less shame less guilt for being a female yeah absolutely (laughs) and what I love as well about the product is that like you can just tell from the from the how it's how it's made that like you don't even have to input any data you just scan the QR code like that's kind of cool. I don't know if you can go into the details about like how that actually works.
0: Yeah sure. I'll be honest with you we had the QR code way before COVID. So when we were thinking about like the product learning curve I'm like people are gonna not know how to use the QR code. Well thank you COVID everything everyone knows what these things are now and it's not a learning curve anymore. But we basically a QR code on every cartridge and we know it's embedded with a lot of data. It's not just there for like positioning. It, it actually has data in it that we use internally to help interpret your, your results. The test strip that's inside of that cartridge, it's designed to quantitatively measure your hormones. So the intensities of the lines actually vary based off of how much hormone is present in your sample. But I don't want a woman interpreting that by eye. So when she scans her test strip, not only do we understand what hormones she's testing, plus all of the backend information that we need, but we're able to use our AI and, and image processing to really fine tune and get to two level two decimal places of accuracy in our hormone levels on a daily basis. So there's a lot going on in that test strip. It's not just meant for you to like visually interpret it.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's kind of exactly what we need though, is that there's the variations of levels, obviously the different types of hormones, but yeah, just having that level of like accuracy is super important. And I mean, I'm also kind of a, (laughs) I've studied a lot of statistics around birth control and stuff. And it's just like, if you're using something over a long period of time, it's like, we just want to remove human error and also make the user experience easier. That's super awesome. And maybe you can then tell us a little bit about like, the other daily action plan or like tips and recommendations that you include in the app experience so like nutritional emotional and physical health like what does that look like when you're in uber
0: yeah so we're not trying to like when you're going through any of these transitions whether it's trying to get pregnant or going through debating if you're in perimenopause or not you're already stressed out right like there's some level of stress that is pushing you to buy this product to get some answers so we're not trying to layer on more work for you or add more to your checklist of things to do every day. But what we are trying to do is as we're seeing your hormone patterns and understanding what's going on with your body, there are some lifestyle changes that you can implement to reduce some of the like discomfort that you're experiencing. So we try to give it to you in bite-sized pieces. For example, like let's look at PCOS, which is a very common and one of our most common diagnoses that we have in our platform. If we notice that you are showing signs of PCOS because your LH is elevated, your hormones look a little imbalanced, and your BMI is a bit higher, we're going to start implementing physical activity that is very lightweight. So giving you tips like, let's go for a 10-minute walk after a meal today, right? Or let's stand Mm -hmm. after eating our meal today for five minutes before we become sedentary because you want your insulin to be working. You need it to be like digesting your food properly. So we start try giving you these little habits that will actually have a long term impact, rather than saying you need to exercise after every meal. That's not going to happen. So we're really just trying to embrace healthy living and long term healthy living. Right.
1: And do you see any other use cases for Uber apart from like trying to conceive and carrying menopause in the future? We can go more into like future. And let's you know, we can transition the conversation to more like the business model stuff as well. So yeah, what are you
0: thinking for more use cases? So women aren't. Just like baby making machines, right? Like our bodies are designed to have babies, yes, but we go through so many transitions from our first period to last. And it's all driven by hormones. So, yes, Uva started with fertility. Yes, he moved into perimenopause, but we're really trying to scale across all the different sectors of a woman's life using the hormones that we have, plus additional ones that we're thinking of adding as well. My goal as a company is to ensure that we're providing women and people in general just all the information they need so they can navigate every transition with information and not Google articles. Right. (laughs) I I want to be able to empower a woman to advocate for her own health and have a two-way conversation with her doctor, which kind of moves into our business model. But that's kind of the long-term plan of UVA, helping women navigate through every phase of life.
1: Totally. And we want more data and we need more data in order to do that. So yeah, part of your business model, in addition to like the kits and stuff that you have is a membership. So I didn't look too much into this, but I would love to know what the membership consists of.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. What we ended up doing was we, we just had our one-time order and a subscription model for the longest time. And we always offered these free consults with our team. If you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out. And it was always a consult with either myself or our support team, but it was a face-to-face Zoom call. Um... And the questions that we got were pretty similar. Like, can you explain, can you just tell, talk me through my data? Like I, I understand everything that's happened, but I just need someone to verbalize it for me. So I was like, this is, we're onto something because people are using this. Let's embed that into the product because it is so useful. And it's such a distinguishing aspect of what we can offer since we have actual data, not just a bunch of, of yeses and noes right. or smiley faces. Like we have actual numbers to talk about. So With our membership model, what we did was we embedded these consultations that are available to all of our members monthly. We also have events that are secure for our members to be able to talk to clinicians in our network about their own data. It's a really safe forum. So like, of course, we're always HIPAA compliant, but oftentimes you don't want to go to your regular doctor to ask certain questions. So we offer these events where patients can log in with one of our providers And the provider can view their data once a patient gives them access and answer any specific questions they want. Mm -hmm. We also have office hours with these clinicians. So if they want to talk to them one-on-one, don't feel comfortable in a group setting, that's always available too. It's so clear that women are hungry for this information and they're just not able to get it elsewhere. So if we're able to provide that trusted circle for them, it's an honor to be able to do that.
1: Totally. And super cool. And so through your experience, like building the product, like scaling and um, exploring all these different use cases, uh, what are some interesting features or insights that you,
0: that surprised you as you were going through the process? Are you talking building or just like after the product kind of got out there?
1: Um, let's do building. And then one example of like a insight from users
0: as well. So, building. I think it was an assumption for me. So like my husband always makes fun of me when I'm like, I think we want to add this feature in here. He's like, how do you know people want this? I'm like, well, I want it. And I'm assuming (laughs) 10 other women want it. So I'm going to go with it. And so far it's been right. So one thing that I had a hunch about was people are going to want to compare their data to normal, whatever normal is. Mm -hmm. So we added this feature in our report where you can overlay a typical 28-day cycle on top of your own. But then all the messaging that's associated with that is, okay, you're different from this, but Mm -hmm. this is why and it's okay. Right. So really trying to embrace the fact that you're not normal, but you're normal for you. And I was floored by how many women appreciated that because they felt like they were spiraling and not knowing what was wrong.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so many like undiagnosed people, even yourself being misdiagnosed. And it's just like, without any understanding I mean the baselines are helpful um but I think it's also the fact that like we're not treating women especially in the ra- the ways that you provide people with recommendations and stuff for their health it's like you're not treating them as you know different or like you're just saying this is th- you're actually personalizing the experience more yeah but it is a fine balance
0: <laughs> yeah uh yeah and it then what was something that
1: that surprised you about either
0: the data or something else that was interesting? Well, I'll share two things. So one is we're so heavy on the data side and being sure that we're clear on research and backing all of our claims with by doing the studies that we need to. Um there was a study that came out a couple of years ago saying that only thirteen percent of women have a twenty eight day cycle. And like I was like, let's let's test that out. Like how many women on our platform actually have a twenty eight day cycle? We found it was five percent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yet everything is designed for a twenty eight day cycle.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also probably because like my, my grandmother, she's like 86, but she took part in the first nurse's health study, which was again, only tested on like white women who were nurses in the fifties and sixties. So, you know, whatever data set they were working with is probably like a hundred years old (laughs) and (laughs) was only testing like women in Indiana who are white Christian goers or
0: something under the age of 30. (laughs) Like, yeah. So it's, it was amazing. We published that last year and that that's gotten a lot of traction, but then the So I'm like glad that we're starting to like myth bust some of the assumptions that we have about women's health and we're doing it with data. But the second thing that really surprised me, I know women want this information. I didn't know how badly. So when we launched our perimenopause product or our three hormone tests, I should say in December of last year, we obviously had projections. We were like prepared for whatever we wanted. We sold out in two weeks oh my god <laughs> we sold out of 15 weeks of inventory in two weeks oh my god that's crazy and i was just like what do we do now Like, this is a great problem but it's not like it just really opened up my eyes to how badly women want this yeah and we're solving a true need here yeah so i'm I, excited I'm, that there's other players that are like really starting to navigate this
1: Exactly. I've had a lot of other friends on here as well, Christina Katchueva from Keg Tech. She's oh, yeah. one of my best friends um, in the fertility tracking space. And same thing, it's like HSA approved. Suddenly, you know, all the stock's gone, and you've got to order. But then, have devices also like a physical one, so it's like you have to yeah. have a six-month, you know, delay or something. So yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm glad it's like people are. It's more accessible, and yeah, better ramp up production because <laughs> now that we. <laughs> As Cindy Gallup also says, there's a plenty amount, there's a lot of money that you can make from like believing women. So as soon as you yeah. make a product that people are willing to use, it's like incredible in that sense. And so in June of 2023, you raised 10.3 million dollars to Series A. Congratulations. That is Thank you. huge. So what was your fundraising journey like? <laughs> and um yeah,
0: that's that's what I want to know. Um, it was very interesting. Like I told you I, earlier, I've never felt like the only woman in a room. The first time I felt that was when I was fundraising. Not specifically in this round, but just in general. I mean, the world is very different today than it was a year ago, than it was a year before that. So it was a very unique experience of fundraising as like the markets are crashing and whatnot. But what I had done is I'm a big believer because I'm a first time founder. Let's caveat everything with that. So I don't have a network wow. of investors to tap into. I remember not a of them to be like, Hey guys, I have this new effort. Believe in me, put money in. Like I, I don't have that. So um, what I've always been really adamant about is build a relationship with these people before you ask for money, because you never know. And what people are innately always willing to do is offer help and advice if you're open to it. Mm. So I've always done that. So when I closed my seed round, I actually started talking to Series A investors right away, like the next day. I didn't even give myself a moment to celebrate that I closed my seed. And I started what? talking. to
1: I feel like you at least deserve a moment to celebrate, like uh,
0: just an inch, I mean, a step forward for kind. It was more of a breath of fresh air. It's like, all right, now what's next? Right, <laughs> um, But it, in that year and a half between our seed or whatever the time limit amount was, I spent so much time speaking with Series A investors and building relationships. So when it came time for our A, we were preempted and then people jumped on very quickly. So it still took us time to close, but I had already built that trust with a lot of investors where we were able to bring on some amazing funds. And I'm, I'm just really proud of what we were able to build in such a like truncated amount of time.
1: Yeah, that's huge. And also it seems like you're quite well connected because you're like living in New York, right? Like, so you're <laughs> in, right? You're there in New York. So I, in, like, my, yeah. The
0: company's based in New York. I live in Connecticut, which is like 30 minutes north of the city. But I, I think it's it's not so much about where you are physically. It's more so about being open to like feedback and questions and help. Because I'm, I've am i always been able to accept that and I'm always hungry for it. And I feel like you can only grow when you surround yourself with folks that are smarter than you and more established and know things that you just haven't experienced before. Um, and I think that's really attractive to some of these people that just genuinely want to help founders.
1: Yeah, totally. That's actually something that I wrote down in my own journals recently was I'm like doing all my own social media and platform building as an author as well. I had watched like a talk about self-publishing like over a year ago and then forgot about it, didn't implement any action items from the talk. And then obviously the woman, I watched it again last week. And then she's like, yeah, you got to go with like Ingram Spark." And I had like gone with a different self-publishing platform. So I was like, oh man, if I had just actually taken these people's advice, you know, and again, it's, it's a tricky balance because you want to, you know, you have your own view of the product right like you have the features that you want to build that you think uh, the user is gonna need but then when it comes to stuff that you have no idea about or i'm speaking myself when i don't know something that's exactly when i need to just like take the best advice that i can and then keep going with my own vision and then my own thing that i'm working
0: yeah it's, it's definitely an art right like the advice is always out there and the the thing that i've also learned is that it's people have so many ideas it's all about the execution Mm, Totally. So (laughs) when you take a piece of advice, it is an idea. Now you have to go and execute on it, which is the hard part. So if you do your diligence on all the ideas and advice that you're getting, you'll have a solid path forward. But if you're closed off to that great resource, you're only going to be moving forward with what you think is best. And that may not be necessarily the most informed choice.
1: Right. Exactly that. And also I'm somebody who's like struggled to ask for help for various reasons, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on your upbringing and how you've, how you've managed to survive as a woman in the world thus far. I mean, being a trailblazer and doing your own thing as as much as possible, it's like sometimes you're trained not to ask for help. So that's a good skill we can all (laughs) implement in 2024. Yes. Let's finish with a couple of more personal questions as we're wrapping up today. Um, If you were going to do a PhD again today, what would you do it in?
0: I would probably do something in education, but tailored a little bit. Um, if I could start another company, it would be focused on redefining what sexual wellness means in where you're learning about sex, sex ed. Like I want to redefine that entire program across the world. We should not be teaching girls that their period is something to be shamed of or like what they need to understand what the biology of this is and why you're having a period. It is not true that if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. That is absolutely not the case. And I'm living proof of that. <laughs> but what we do need to understand is why you have a cycle and that there are certain days that you can get pregnant and what that means. Yes, like you, you can make the argument that women, the kids' minds aren't developed yet. They won't understand those nuances. That is feeding into that entire scope of women not Mm. needing or being able to handle data about their bodies. It's just not true. I gave my nine-month-old a phone, an iPhone. He grabbed my phone. He knew how to swipe. Yeah. Like, they know way more and are much more capable of handling information and knowledge than we give everyone credit for. And I'd want to redo what that entire program looks like.
1: Yeah. And I think an, an aspect of that is that like, you know, it's kind of like when you're in that awkward puberty phase where you're like, am I going to sit at the adult's table or the kid's table at Thanksgiving? Um, but the the reality is that we treat young girls, you know, like, like children. Um, exactly. even though they're already fertile and like able to, you know, cycling since I was like 11 when I got my period. So like probably should feel equipped and empowered and enfranchised with the data that I can understand about my body. So yeah, it's a very it's a very strange. Again, I think that's like a patriarchal thing where it's like the infantilization of women um, because that's what, you know, in our society, people have historically found attractive. So changing that, that sounds like a great <laughs> a great thing to do. <laughs> and what are some other areas of research or women's health questions that you think people who
0: are interested in them should be answering or trying to answer? Well, I would hope that anyone that's addressing any women's health issue is looking at objective data. I think a lot of the like conclusions that have been made or assumptions that have been made about women's health are based off of subjective things. Like if you look at period tracking apps, it's all subjective data. We're one of the first to actually bring Mm -hmm. objectivity to those symptoms. I mean, I have years of data in all these apps, but if I look at it, there really aren't many patterns there that I can draw conclusions from. Mm -hmm. Now, when I look at my like three years of Uva data, like that's powerful because I'm seeing what the hormone trends were. I'm seeing the days that I was super stressed and that my cycle was completely off, and it's a, there's explanations that I can draw from, like looking at actual objective data. So yeah. there's so many areas that are exciting right now. Like I think menopause is having its moment finally. Like man, I guess women have Day started menopause. going to menopause, right? It's finally having its moment. There's companies that are looking at the microbiome, I, the vaginal microbiome. I think that's fantastic too. Like let's understand what mm-hmm. cervical mucus is and really yeah. getting to the bottom of why you're having that and other issues there. Priyanka is wonderful. Like I love the way that they're approaching the vaginal microbiome. They're really normalizing this as a body part. And it's not something to be ashamed of. Like there's a purpose to having a vagina and we shouldn't be shy from that. Um, so I'm really excited about some of the innovations that's happening and the way that the conversation is shifting.
1: Yes, exactly. And if you had any career advice for women interested in STEM and startups today, what would you tell them?
0: The number one thing that has helped me get to where I am today is always asking questions. And I think when you do a PhD, you're kind of trained to ask questions, but I was doing it before I even did a PhD, because the more questions that you ask, the more doors that are opened. So if I'm talking to like an investor about something and I know this person's not going to invest in us, we're not in their like round size or whatever, mm. but they're going to know at least five other people that would be good fits for me. And that's how you build your network. And that's how you grow because you're going to have five more conversations that has so many more legs. And I've always been open to that across every aspect of my life. And it's never hurt me. It's only like kind of paid it forward in a way by Hmm. always having a network to tap into. Wow. Yeah. That makes
1: a lot of sense. Great advice all around. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) speaking of these kinds of questions, what do you wish that I had asked you or what should I have asked you in this? In this interview
0: you asked really good questions but i think the one thing would be what is a big gap that i'm seeing in this space right now yeah Um, i think we asked like what are areas that we could possibly what's exciting but we didn't really see what the big like oversight is i think there's a lot of players in the femtech or women's health side but People and we're all like going after the same investors. We're all like trying to show growth and things like that. But I would hope that especially when you're a female founder, that's like the companies that are really in the space, like all the female founded ones, you know how you would want to get marketed to and what information you would need to make, like to be convinced to make this purchase. I would hope that companies just stay true mm. to that and not... Do false advertising, not like bend the truth. Like let's let's be honest and clear with our potential customers about what we're actually putting out there. Because I think we're just creating more noise and hurting our community so much by playing the marketing game. It this isn't this should not be a marketing game. It should be providing value to a community that is desperately in need for it.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, that's if they can get their ads published at all. You know, with the that's, that's a great point. <laughs> with the Facebook and Instagram ads, you know, like the the banana penis can go on the subway in New York, but uh, and then oh, yeah. and, uh, I think Alex, I think her name is Alex, but anyway, yeah, the Dame had this huge thing about that as yeah. well. Amazing and fascinating, and such a bummer because then you can't even if you, even if you raise a million dollars, it's like well, if you can't advertise, like you're not, you don't get any of that growth.
0: uh, But we're still held to the same metrics that men are. Right.
1: So anyway, Dr. Amy, this has been an incredible conversation. So grateful that you could come and chat to us today. And yeah, best of luck with Uber and all of the great things in store for 2024.
0: Thank you so much. It's wonderful to speak with you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Miseducated. If you'd like a special discount on Uber, I'm super excited to be able to share this promo code with you. You can go to uver.life slash miseducated, which is O-O-V-A dot L-I-F-E slash M-I-S-S-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D. And the discount code is all caps Miss UVA 10 which is M-I-S-S-O-O-V-A-1-0. Lots of love, everyone. Stay safe out there. And I hope that you'll join us for another episode of Miseducated again soon. Bye.